Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning asking that you would be our vision. As our high King of heaven, we turn to you for wisdom on our journey. Inform our minds, we ask, so that we may have the very mind of Christ. May we understand our place and our purpose in our world and our responsibilities and the great opportunities that you grant us each and every day. Help us in the power of your spirit to hear your true word to us and to respond in faithful, obedient, living worship to you, our God and our Savior. Amen. May be seated, and if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll also, as we look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, they will be informed and they will be undergirded by what James said earlier in the first chapter, verses 5 through 8. So if you can have James 3, 13 through 18, and James 1, 5 through 8, before you, we will engage God's Word. James, when he comes to the section of scripture, he asked a very specific question that really introduces the subject of our message this morning, wisdom for living. What is the value of wisdom, church? James would ask in verse 13 of chapter three, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Who is wise? Who is wise and understanding among you? You know, that is a a contentious question in many ways. That is a question that is open to one's interpretation of what it means to be wise. And more than that, it's open to one's interpretation of the valuation of wisdom in our culture. We live in a day and age where not everyone values wisdom. Not everyone agrees upon even the importance of wisdom in our culture. I heard a story, fictional story of a dean of an arts and science school at a local college. They had a faculty meeting, and there's the dean before all of the professors and other uh, individuals that are there upon the staff. And as they were having this meeting, a genie walks in and says, I will grant you as the dean uh, of this school, I will grant you three wishes or one wish out of three choices. You can have unlimited health, unlimited wealth, or unlimited wisdom. Which one would it be? Without any hesitation, he said, unlimited wisdom. Poof. The dean of the school of arts and sciences at that moment had unlimited wisdom. There seemed to be a halo that emerged over his head. All of the faculty members looked at him, uh, longing to hear how the dean now, who had unlimited wisdom, what would he speak? What would be the first words? And his first words were, I should have chosen the money. What, what, is, what, is, what is the value of wisdom? What is the importance of wisdom? What is the need for wisdom in your life and in my life? Well, before we understand, we must see how James speaks of it. And he speaks of it in verses 5 through 8 of James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him ask in faith, verse 6, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. The three principles that I want us to discover from James 1 in conversation with James 
chapter 3, and the first principle that I want us to discover is the nature of wisdom. Notice the source of wisdom here. The, the nature of it is that James invites us to pray if we lack wisdom, and the nature of it is that all wisdom is from God. Now, the context of James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, is very important for you to understand. In verses 2 through 4, James has already said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. We need wisdom this side of heaven to be able to trust God in the midst of trials, to be able to discern that there is a larger purpose to his sovereign plan, even when we can't detect the contours of his will and his way, especially in trials, especially in difficulty. We know his word teaches us so clearly that uh, he works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But all things sometimes it's hard for us to get our emotional heart around, our mental mind around, because there are some things that seem to be outside of the jurisdiction of his providence and his will. So we need wisdom to be able to discern, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of difficulties, that he is good, that he is God, that there is a plan, that he is working all things together, even when we can't see how he's working in some things. So if you lack wisdom, well, of course, even in the difficulties of life, we will lack wisdom. Sometimes we have spiritual hindsight 20 years down the road, decades down the road. We will be able to discern more clearly as the veil is removed and we see him face to face in eternity that is before him, that he is good and he is God and this is how he was working, even when we could not understand it in our life and in the midst of trials. But there's more to wisdom than just the wisdom to be able to discern his providential hand in the midst of trials. James is drawing upon this, this rich resource of the Old Testament because he doesn't even define wisdom. He just brings wisdom to the table and he says, everybody knows wisdom. You don't need an invitation, but it is important, or an introduction, but it is important for us to be able to be reminded of how the writer of Proverbs talked about wisdom. There's no other book in the Old Testament that, that brings wisdom to the forefront more so than Proverbs. One exemplary passage in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, gives us insight into the nature of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Where does wisdom reside? It resides in one's communion with God. The fear of the Lord is not that we're shocked by God, surprised by God, and cower in fear of him, but rather it is a holy reverence of him. It's a holy respect for him. It is a holy posture of adoration before him, understanding that the nature of wisdom is such that we receive it from him. And in communion with him, and in community with other believers, this is the nature of of wisdom. Now, it is oppositional to what is often pitched as wisdom in our world. I mean, think about the ways that we kind of popular think of someone who is wise. Oftentimes, we think of someone who is wise as one who has accumulated much knowledge. 
The wisdom is the accumulation of knowledge. So you say, and this is a wise person because this person is able to sit down with a lawyer and talk about the intricacies of tort reform. And then the next day, he's able to sit down with a physicist and talk about string theory, quantum mechanics. Boy, this is a wise person. And then the next day, he's having coffee with a farmer and he's talking intelligently about the rotation of crops. This is a wise person because he's got this grand accumulation of knowledge, but you need to understand that the accumulation of knowledge is not synonymous with God-centered wisdom. I love the way Kent Hughes, who's was a pastor outside of Wheaton College, their suburb outside of Chicago, he says it this way, when he says, man, through his vast accumulation of knowledge, has learned to travel faster than sound, but displays his need of wisdom by going faster and faster in the wrong direction. Knowledge isn't always an accumulation, or or wisdom is not always an accumulation of knowledge. Knowledge isn't the same thing as wisdom. Wisdom is oftentimes also described as an accumulation of age. So someone is wise when they have a lot of years that are behind them and less years that are before them. When, when you see more in life in the rearview mirror than you would most naturally be a wise person, oftentimes that is true. That a believer who has gray hair upon them and, and a seasoned life behind them is oftentimes a wise person. But many of you in this room you, you have said the cliche within the context of your workplace, in the context even of church, there very well may be that you've had the ability to serve alongside of somebody, and they're in their 20s or early 30s, and what did you say about them? They're wise beyond their years. There's something about wisdom that is not solely contained in the accumulation of age because you also know on the flip side, individuals that have a lot of years behind them, but spiritually They are foolish in their practice. Wisdom isn't just an accumulation of knowledge. Wisdom isn't just an accumulation of age. Wisdom is God-centered understanding for living your life and my life. Wisdom is the grace of God to be able to enable us to specifically live out the great commandment and the great commission in the intricacies of your life and of my life. This is the nature of wisdom. Not only do we discover the nature of wisdom, but we discover our need for wisdom. Look again with me in James chapter 1, verse 5. Notice that James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now, all of us in this room could raise our hands and admit that there are often times in life where we lack the wisdom to make God-centered decisions in that moment in the specificity of the choice that we have before us. I want you to understand what I'm going to say, and I want you to not misunderstand what I'm not saying, okay? The Bible is sufficient for all of life But the Bible isn't specific to all of your life. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible is sufficient. We do not need more than what God has given us, but that doesn't mean that he has told us everything that we might want to know about the specifics of a certain situation that are before us. Let's just think about that. We need his wisdom to be able, as single individuals, to say, is this the right season to date? And, and, and who should I date in this 
season. Well, you're going to stretch God's word to turn to Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6, and to find in that passage a specific admonition for you to date Charlie instead of Billy or Susie instead of Charlotte. I mean, you're, you're not going to find that specifics. You, you find that the Bible is sufficient to give us the broad principles, but we need wisdom to apply them in the specifics of our life. There are times where we're having to say, do I go to this college or do I go to that college? Well, both of the colleges are good colleges. It isn't that you have evil Sodom and Gomorrah, this school, one holy place over here. It's rather you're having to apply God's will and his way to the decision that you're making and you want to make a godly, informed, wise decision. There's some of you that come to this place after you graduate college and you're having to say, do I go into this door of vocational opportunity or do I go to this door of vocational opportunity? It's very rare that you're going to turn to Luke chapter 24 and it says you need to become an, uh, an attorney and you need to work for this firm instead of that firm. We have broad principles, but it doesn't speak in that great of specificity. So we're asking for wisdom. There's some of you, as you've made your way into your career, you come to this fork in the road where you're having to decide, do I take this job opportunity that is going to move me away from a lot of friends and family, or do I choose stability for family at this season? Both of these could be good decisions, but you're asking God to give you wisdom to make the decision in that moment, to live in confidence in the specificity of your life. Some of you are wondering, how do I care for aging parents? Do I do it in this way or do I do it in that way? The principle to honor your father and mother is very clear in Scripture. The specifics of how we are going to do it, that is a decision of wisdom. Now, aren't you thankful in your need for wisdom, in my need for wisdom, that the nature of wisdom is such that the source is so clear? Notice with me that the passage tells us that when we lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Notice what this passage is saying. Don't, don't skip over this too quickly. What the Bible is saying is that not only is God the Father, God the Creator, God the Sustainer of the universe, God one and three persons, God, Holy Trinity, God who has authored his word that is sufficient for us, that he, he is not only concerned to the big picture, but he is concerned with the specifics of your life, that he is concerned with anything that you're going through, that he invites you to, to petition him, to ask him to give you direction. Now, we're tempted to have something that's a little bit more tangible, aren't we? That when we come to the forks in the road, when we're trying to figure out how do I relate to that coworker who's going through a difficult time, who I'm having to take on some of their work because of the family situation that is so difficult for them, how do I respond as a believer in this situation? You're asking God for wisdom in this. Oftentimes, it is tempting for us to immediately go to flesh and blood. You pick up the phone. You send out an email. You say, hey, can I grab coffee with you? Now, this, there's nothing wrong with this, is it? There's nothing wrong with, with using wise counsel. The scripture tells us 
of the importance of wise Christian counsel. But I want you to understand very clearly the invitation that the God of this universe is saying is that before you sit down around coffee uh, talking about this situation with a friend, talk to me about it. I'm inviting you to talk to me about the little things of life. Have you ever been in that kind of situation where you've just just been unnerved because you just couldn't get to the person who could do something, could fix something. You didn't have access immediately. You know if you just knew somebody, it would be really simple. But you have to wait. And you have to go through these hoops. Just this morning, I'm flying out this afternoon. We've got two baseball games this afternoon. They're big baseball games. I want to be there. I knew, I knew that I can do a same-day flight change. I know that I could fly out Later, it's real easy. All I've got to do is call this 800 number and there would be a kind person in customer service that would pick it up and I would explain the situation and they would be able to say yes for this little cost and it is a cost, but I was willing to pay that cost to be able to be at these games. Five o'clock this morning, I called and they said, they informed me, the robotic voice from the cloud informed me that there's much difficulty going on in the airs right now, in the air right now, so there's going to be a little bit longer of a wait. I was fine with a long wait. I called at five. I have a little bit of time to get ready, put it on speakerphone. And an hour and 47 minutes later, I talked to the person who could remedy the situation. I've told this story in two sermons and I felt everybody was leaving yesterday, this early, the service. And they said, did you get your, did you get your flight changed? And yes, I did. I did. So don't want to leave you in suspense here. I'm, I'm leaving at 729. Uh, to go to the Southern Baptist Convention instead of 229 today. But I was frustrated in the moment because I didn't have access to the person who could make the change that I knew could happen. Here you are, and you need to know that whatever you are going through, whatever difficulty that you have, whatever that is bothering you, you do not pester God by your petitions. You do not irritate him by your intercession. The scripture teaches us this, this wonderful truth that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, but one whom in every respect has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. And this is the beautiful truth. Let us then approach the throne of grace so that we would receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. This is a wonderful truth. It's a great creator of the universe wants to commune with you and wants to receive those things that you're pondering, those issues that are percolating, where you have a lack of clarity. He is a gracious God who gives generously without reproach in the NIV without finding fault. But then there's a conjunction. It's a surprising conjunction because we, we have it. We're moving in that verse five wisdom way. He gives us generously without finding fault, but, but verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Ask in faith with no doubting. Is this a cognitive doubt? Is, is James talking about that we shouldn't doubt the existence of God, God uh, uh, one and three, God holy unity, but three persons? Is that what he's talking about? No, that's not what he's talking about. In verses six and seven, he goes on to explain it. He says, don't doubt, ask in faith. Don't be like a person that is like a wave of the sea, gives an analogy that is driven and tossed 
by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a, and, and put an asterisk by this phrase. Underline this phrase, circle this phrase. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Do you see that in your copy of God's word? You know what's unique about that phrase? Is it's the first time it appears in scripture. Actually, all of the extant Greek literature that is contemporaneous to James, we never see that word. We don't have it. It seems as if under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James is inventing a word to describe what it means to be a person who isn't asking of faith, but rather a person who is doubting. It is to be a double, it can be translated, double-souled person. The soul of a person, S-O-U-L. Double-minded, double-souled. It it is the first time in the Bible, and it's introducing us to this concept that we can ask God for wisdom, but in actuality, as we're asking him for wisdom, we have our fingers crossed behind our back. You remember this when you were six years old? You are seven years old. You were on the playground, wherever you were growing up, and you you could promise the most audacious promise in the world, and when you had to come, and and there was someone declaring, now, you got to do this, you would say, oh, I have my fingers crossed. I have my fingers crossed. At least on playgrounds in Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana and Texas and Georgia, it was, it was a universal symbol. Everybody, everybody knew what you were talking about. They were like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, his fingers were crossed. His fingers were crossed. I got it. I got it. Fingers crossed. And there's so many of us that spiritually cross our fingers as a follower of Christ. I surrender all. Fingers crossed. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Fingers crossed. I'm thine, O Lord. Fingers crossed. Be thou my vision. Fingers crossed. And if we were to take a picture of our hearts, it's the picture of a, of a heart that is his holding on to two allegiances. It's it's holding on to God and money. It is holding on to God and career. It is holding on to God and to pleasure. It is holding on to God and all of these things of the world. And we're double-minded in the sense that we say, we give you our allegiances, but we also want to have some time. We also want to have an invitation to have allegiances to the world and to the flesh. And all of us in this room know what it's like. All of us in this room know what it's like to be divided in our allegiances. And James is saying that one of the reasons that we lack clarity, one of the reasons that we do not have his wisdom for daily living is because we are double-minded individuals. With hands and fingers, hands behind our back and fingers crossed. Do you know God will never extend an application to his creation to be a part-time disciple? Do you, do you know that the creator of the universe doesn't put out an ad in his word looking for seasonal Christians? Give me three months out of the year. Give me one day of the week. Give me just this percentage and all will be well. 
All throughout Scripture, we have these all-encompassing statements of Scripture. Jesus, when he was asked, in many of the Gospels, you have this account where a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by pulling from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the love for neighbor in Leviticus chapter 19. And he would say this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. It's drawing upon the Psalter in Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Now, what is the opposite of this? Well, interestingly enough, the opposite of this is described by the worldly wisdom of James chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. He tells us in chapter 1, this is what godly wisdom looks like. Then he says, well, if you want to know the antithesis of it, this is what you're going to look like. Verse 14, James chapter 3, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, divided souls, divided minds, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. Did you notice that word? There will be disorder. There's not going to be clarity. There's not going to be a sense of peace. There's going to be disorder and every vile practice. Why? Because we're double-souled. We're double-minded. Fingers behind the back, crossed, giving allegiances to him and allegiances to the world simultaneously. And, And we ought not to expect that there would be this sense of clarity. And there's some of you in this room that know what it's like to lack peace in your life right now. And it isn't the situation It isn't the coworker. It isn't a family member. It's you, double-souled, double-minded in that place. Do you remember, this is decades ago, I'm getting older, we're getting older, all of us age, don't we? But Mrs. Doubtfire seems at one time to be a a new movie. Well, it's, it's decades ago, but do you remember seeing Mrs. Doubtfire? Robin Williams was a star of Mrs. Doubtfire. If you if you haven't seen the movie, this is the premise. Robin Williams. It's a strange premise. It's hard to describe this real quickly here. But okay, so, so he's divorced from Sally Fields. Sally Fields is his wife. Okay, so he's got two kids, maybe three kids. It's hard for me to remember this right now. And he says, I want to be in greater proximity to my children. So what I'm going to do is I know that my ex-wife has got an application out for someone to be a nanny. So I, Robin Williams, who's playing the character of these children's dad, who wants to be in closer proximity, says, I'm going to dress up as a British nanny, and I'm going to actually be hired by my wife. You know, it's a premise that's hard to work out in the actual world, but for the movie, it works out, and it's really funny. And so there's this kind of pivotal scene where he, Robin Williams, dad of the two children, masquerading as Mrs. Doubtfire, is in this business meeting where he is meeting with this TV executive, and he's hopefully going to get this position, so he's got to be himself, but he's also got to be in the same restaurant with his family as Mrs. Doubtfire. So the whole back and forth of this scene is he's dressed up, he goes into the restroom three minutes later, he takes it all off, he goes and sits down with the TV executive, and he goes back and forth, back and forth, and finally he sits down with the TV executive that stares at him and says, what is that on your lips? And he had forgotten to wipe off the lipstick. There, there are some of us that know what it's like to say all to Jesus, all to Jesus. But if we were to be truthful, the lipstick of the world is freshly minted upon our soul. All of us in this room are prone to wonder, 
all of us in this room are prone to leave his way. Where do we find wisdom? Well, we find wisdom in relationship to a God who desires to give it to us. We find it in consistent prayer. We find it in digging deeply in God's word. We find it in applying God's word to our life. We find it in the counsel of faithful believers, men and women who love us, who know us, and who love and know the Lord. We find it in the context of the church. Now, some of you in this room, you need to hear this because you're looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. Johnny Lee was this country singer. And many of you know that song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Searching their eyes, looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of. After the A25 service, somebody came up to me and said, you ought to sing that song. Um, That would not be wise, would it? So, (laughs) looking for wisdom in all the wrong places places. That's where some of you are this morning. Some of you are looking for wisdom in the eyes of the world, looking for wisdom in the traces of the world, and today is the day to admit that at this moment I am double Minded, And this is the great promise of Scripture. If we confess our double-minded tendencies, that he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we seek God, we find wisdom. When we seek God, we live wise lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you are a God who desires to direct. We admit that we often, all of us in this room, know what it's like to live a distracted, a distracted life. And there's none of us in this room that are not prone to wonder. There are none of us in this room that are not tempted sometimes to look for wisdom in all the wrong places. But we confess that it's tempting sometimes to look to the world, to look to popular opinion, but we today, we set our hearts upon you in your word, knowing that you are sufficient to guide us in and through your word. You are sufficient in and through the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us to live wise lives, informed by your word. May we, even today, turn our eyes to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.